Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week for the best of Sports Business Radio. We take a little break for the Labor Day weekend. In segment two, we're going to look back on our conversation on social media in sports. How is Facebook and Twitter impacting the world of sports and sports business? That's coming up in segment two. In segment three, you'll hear my conversation with David Dunn from Athletes First. He's the agent for New York Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez, for Carson Palmer, some of the biggest names in the NFL. We had a chance to catch up with him earlier in the year. We'll look back on that conversation. That's in segment three. In segment four, my conversation from the beginning of the summer with Portland Trailblazers general manager Kevin Pritchard. Insightful conversation as it related to the free agent market this summer and what might lie ahead for the free agent market in 2010 when guys like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and others are expected to be on the market. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My Twitter handle, SBRadio. But as I said, you can go to our blog, look for the links to our Facebook page and our Twitter page. College football season is coming up. We'll have lots to discuss there when we come back. Uh, And we will be back with you the weekend of September 12th and 13th. We look forward to that. So enjoy this weekend. The best of Sports Business Radio, and we'll see you in a few weeks. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Bringing you up to speed on the latest breakthroughs in the world of sports. Let's enter the Technology Lab. All right, so this is a conversation I've wanted to have for the last uh, really few months. I said few weeks before, but it's the last few months. I mean, Twitter and Facebook are changing the way we consume our information, especially Twitter. I mean, I found out about Michael Jackson's death on Twitter. I found out about Manny Ramirez getting suspended on Twitter. I found out about Alex Rodriguez getting 
uh, suspended or not getting suspended, but using steroids on Twitter. A lot of breaking news on Twitter. Well, this week, a few things happened that really caught my eye. Number one, the 800-pound gorilla that is ESPN. They sent out a memo, and they sent it out to their talent. So not to the behind-the-scenes people, not to the producers, but it's, it's intended for their talent. And it basically curtails their tweeting from here on out. And they've got to run their tweets by an editor. I mean, essentially, it's all got to be endorsed by the head honchos at ESPN and go through the machine before you can tweet about it. Now, I'm sorry, but that removes the spontaneity. It also removes the ability for a reporter, I think, to be able to break news. Now, you could say, well, we could still break news on ESPN.com, and then the person tweeting could just tweet the link, and you could break the news that way. Okay, I get that. But, again, when you've got to go through this big, big process, the chances that you're going to get beaten to the story, pretty good. Now, I know you want to be right. You don't want to be first. You want to be right. I get that. But one of the problems I have with ESPN's policy, and I wrote about it on my blog this week at sportsbusinessradio.com, is I think that ESPN, owned by Disney, by the way, and I've worked for Disney before, and their handbook is thicker than the Bible. And they've got rules and regulations that are ridiculous. And essentially, they want everyone to be the same. They want vanilla. And they want to control you. Well, one of the things about Twitter and reading people like Rick Buecher, who's been on the show many times, Bill Simmons, who we all enjoy, Chris Mortensen, the NFL reporter, several other reporters, I kind of liked seeing their personality. And I kind of like not only reading stories that they broke, but learning a little bit about them. I mean, look, I tweet at SB Radio, and I hope that you learn a little bit about me. I mean, I tweeted from the Philippines and probably put a little too much information on some of my tweets. But, uh, you know, I think it personalizes and humanizes those of us who are tweeting. So we're not just media people. We also have a little bit of a personality. You get a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes. That's what we want from athletes. We want to know what's going on at training camp. We want to know, you know, what's this team doing? What's that athlete doing? You know, Bill Simmons doesn't do breaking news, but I'm going to be very interested to see this. And I'll give you an example. Bill Simmons, I think, has become such an enormous brand He doesn't need ESPN anymore. He could start his own website. He could do his podcast on his website. He would still have millions of people following him via Twitter, listening to his podcast, and reading his columns, whether it's under the ESPN banner or not. The guy that did this about a year and a half ago, and I doubted he could do it, but he's done it, is Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick left ESPN and said, I'm going to become my own brand. No, Dan Patrick is not on as many radio stations as he was with ESPN, but he's on a lot, and he's writing for Sports Illustrated, and everything he does, much like we do, we own the sports business radio brand. No one controls us. We control our editorial content. We control our logo. We control everything that comes and goes with sports business radio. Dan Patrick is the same way. Every dollar that Dan Patrick makes now is his. It's not going to ESPN and then he's getting a part of Dan Patrick's work. It's all his. I could see Bill Simmons and I could see some other people getting frustrated with the 800-pound gorilla and all the bureaucracy 
and kind of saying, you know what, I might take this out on my own, and I think I can monetize it on my own, and I think I can bring my millions of followers with me. I mean, there's not a lot of people that could do it, but Dan Patrick did it. I think Bill Simmons could do it, and I think the more these ESPNs try and restrict their reporters, the more incentive it's giving the reporters to bolt. Now, the other news in the world of Twitter that caught my eye this week, there are 10 NFL teams that are not allowing reporters to tweet from open public practices. This is ridiculous. You're trying to promote your brand. Why wouldn't you allow a reporter to tweet from practice? If it's open to the public, if it's not a closed practice, if it's a closed practice, I understand that. But reporters probably aren't at a closed practice. So if you're tweeting from an open public practice, why not? NFL teams are also trying to figure out what to do with players who are tweeting. We saw San Diego Charger player, uh, what's his name, uh, Antonio Cromartie. He was fined $2,500 this week by the Chargers for tweeting that the team served, quote-unquote, nasty food during training camp. By the way, $2,500 to Cromartie is like $0.25 cents to me. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's it's. Not a big fine at all, but the fact that they're putting restrictions. See, these teams, I think, really need to have a hard, fast rule. Here's what you can tweet about. Here's what you can't. You know, when you're behind closed doors, you can't tweet about uh, any of our plays or any of Okay, I get that. But, you know, it's funny because people say, I want to go behind the curtain. I want to go behind the scenes. I enjoy reading Uh, athletes tweeting from training camp. I enjoy when they're telling me about what they're doing with their summer workouts. This is the kind of access that people have craved for a long time. Twitter, as as my father used to say, that car is a, it's not a toy. It's a very powerful weapon. Well, Twitter is not a toy. It's a very powerful weapon. If you tweet something and you've got a decent number of followers and it gets retweeted, there's a lot of people seeing what you're writing. So if you're going to break a story and it's wrong, if you're going to criticize something and uh, you don't want people to see it, if you're going to say something and you don't want people to see it, you better think twice about being on Twitter. It's a powerful tool, but it's also an amazing tool that has allowed celebrities, media, and people like that to reach audiences that they couldn't reach previously. We've got you know 800 followers, which isn't great, but you know it's far from... Uh, Shaq at 1.7 million and Ashton Kutcher at over a million, but we've got some pretty loyal followers and we've got some good Facebook friends and these are mediums. To me, it's all gravy. The main thing we do is a radio show here. I want people to listen to this radio show, whether it's on the radio or via iTunes or via our website. That's how I want them to listen to our show. If you want to follow us during the week on the blog or on Twitter or on Facebook, terrific. The more platforms, the better. And I'll tell you this, the teams that aren't embracing social media, they're going to go the way of the newspapers. And the newspapers are not embracing social media. The newspapers are still real slow to catch on to new technology, and that's why you're seeing newspapers and other vehicles that are still stuck in the dark ages going under. And there's only going to be more of them. There's a a great, uh, I think it's called The Media is Dying. Follow them on Twitter. Every day, there's something on there about another paper folding, another TV station folding, another radio station folding or being sold. It's rampant in this country, and 
I'll tell you, you got to embrace Twitter. I understand what ESPN's trying to do by kind of ratcheting back a little bit and putting some controls behind it. But if they make it too commercial and they try and monetize it and they take away the uh, instinctiveness of being on Twitter, I think it's going to hurt them, and I think they're going to lose out to their competition, Bobby. No, I completely agree with you. And, you know, we have to look at it from a member of a media point. When somebody says something on Twitter, if it's an athlete or an entertainment person, we'll take it, you know, as their word. So as you and I both know, if somebody says something and it's relevant, we'll either report it or pass it along. I mean, this whole thing kind of broke loose with Kevin Love this year. He basically retired, hey, you know, they fired a coach. Right. And And he broke it. And he broke it. And, you know, ESPN and everybody rolled with it. And now it's become almost a thing where we can turn on any show, you know, be it SportsCenter or anything like that, where there's undoubtedly a story or something related to something somebody said on Twitter. Right. And, you know, like today, they brought the thing with the Chargers. So the guy comes out and, you know, complains about the food. Big deal. Big deal. But now the PR staff has to go back and be like, you know, gosh, now we got to make him, you know, we got to issue a statement saying he wasn't talking about the training table. He was talking about the food and all this stuff. It's, you know. Personality sells tickets. Personality sells sponsorships. If you make everyone vanilla, if you make everyone the same, if you put a muzzle on them, you're hurting your business. I'm telling everyone that right now. You got to have a little personality allowed for, and if you don't, it's bland and people don't want it. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where Twitter goes. I don't think it's a fad. I think it's here to stay for a while. I don't think it's one of those things that's going to be a flash in the pan and a year from now we're going to go, oh, no more Twitter. I do think that, you know, ESPN will find a way to uh, have people tweet from a central place on their website where you can go to one place and follow all the tweets and all the tweets are going to be uh, monitored by editors. And I understand all of that. But uh, I just think that ESPN, in the short term, they're hurting themselves. And if they try and monetize it so you can only access their reporters' tweets via Insider, like they do with their podcast, I think they're going to hurt themselves. So we'll see where this all goes. But, uh, boy, the world of social media is definitely having an impact on the sports world. This is not the last time we'll be talking about this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is David Dunn. He's the president and CEO of Athletes First and the agent for new New York Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez, as well as for other NFLers, including 
Bengals quarterback Carson Palmer, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, and Seahawks quarterback Matt Hasselbuck, amongst many others. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. I know it's been a busy week for you. Not at all. uh, I'm glad to be on. So I want to start off by talking about uh, Mark Sanchez. There was so much speculation about where he might land leading up to the draft. Uh, The Redskins, the Broncos were rumored to be interested in him. And then we heard talk about the Jets being interested. Uh, Can you walk us through the week leading up to the draft, all the way through the deal getting done with the Jets to trade up to number five to draft him? Sure. It's it's somewhat of a circus atmosphere where... um you know that there are so many smoke screens out there and and especially as of the last decade it didn't used to be quite like this uh but as of the last past decade every uh, every time you look up at the television set you hear uh people talking about it and and every time you turn on the radio in your car you hear people talking about it so it's become quite a scene i i, I remember calling mark at one point and we were going over some things and I looked up at my TV and I and I told him, you know, listen, I'm really getting tired of you. It's watching you complete that same pass for the 50th straight time. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it's. Uh, uh, I, I will tell you, uh, it, it's crazy and it's and it's great having it over with. I'm sure. Uh, at what point did you know the Jets were going to be the team? I mean, as an agent, you're sitting there, and and I think our audience would find it interesting. Where are you? What are you doing? How much control do you have over where Mark Sanchez is going to get drafted? Who's going to trade to get him? All that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I would love to say that I have have more control than I do, but I don't have very much at all. I think that that Mark has a ton of control with how he performs in in this process during February and, and March and early April um, as he's going through his workouts, as he's getting on the board with with offensive coordinators and head coaches, and as he's visiting the team and and getting to know the owners and the owners' families, and and Mark is particularly adept at that. He's just he just has a very very good personality, a very easy person to get get along with, and uh, so he controls it, and, and his arm does far more than my, my voice ever could, and and you know then it comes down to. To what's the right fit for the team and what they want to do, and and we uh, we were thrilled that it was the Jets at the end of the day. Maybe you can talk about that for a minute. What you just said, uh, the business has changed so much in the last few years, and the due diligence that these teams are doing, almost the surveillance that they're doing on these athletes before the draft has really risen several notches in the last few years. Well, I think it's risen concurrently with the rise in in the economics. And so it used to be that if you're spending a million dollars on a first rounder, then then the the cost and the cost cost benefit or the risk reward is you know was was not all that significant. Well, when you're spending 70 some million dollars on somebody then it does become more of an issue, and and so, you know, they uh, boy by the end of the process they know what Mark had for for breakfast and what his favorite color is and everything in between, and and um, and I would do it too if you're going to buy a fifty or a hundred million dollar machine um, as a uh, as a uh, an owner of a machine co- corporation you're going to make sure and darn sure that that machine works and and. And that there's nothing wrong with it, so I don't blame them for doing that. So Mark Sanchez to the Jets in New York, the number one media market in the country. He's coming from the number two media market, USC. He's on TV every week, a very high-profile program. He's a good-looking guy. He's a well-spoken guy. 
I see he's uh, tweeting. I'm following <laughs> him on on Twitter, and uh, you know he's got interesting things to say every day. So he's embraced social media. Uh, this guy seems to be a perfect fit for the Jets. I saw this week they sold a boatload of Mark Sanchez Jets jerseys. The sky should be the limit for him. What are you doing to work with him to, I guess, maximize his off-the-field opportunities? You know, he, he is a perfect fit, and, and you have to have a, a certain attitude, I've learned over the years, to um, to uh, deal with the, uh, with the fun and the obligation that that market brings. Um, I will tell you that that uh, my my approach to, to marketing for players entering the league may be a bit more conservative than most uh, uh, rookies, especially at the quarterback position, can struggle in the early going. And there's nothing more distasteful than watching your quarterback, uh, Messiah, throw three interceptions in a game only to walk outside the stadium to, to that quarterback selling everything under the sun on billboards. Uh, so my philosophy, for the most part, is to let the player's performance in the field lead him into the marketing arena. That's what Mark's going to be doing. You know, he he just started his mini camp um, just about as we speak, and he, uh, you know, he's going to be on the field, on the board, in the film room, and not doing much else over the next few weeks. With that being said, I would imagine that your phone has uh, rang a few times this week with probable uh, opportunities for him, right? Oh yeah, no. This, this is going to be one of those. There are there are some some situations where you really have to to work hard to actively pursue things, and there are other situations where you're like a catcher catching pitches, and we're you know we're we're catching a lot of fastballs at this point, and uh, again, we're going to be conservative. I'm sure we'll do some things with the appropriate. Uh, uh, link-ups in the New York City area, but but um, but we're going to be very careful with what we do. I mean, this is a business show, so we talk about what some athletes mean to their owners and to the franchise, and I look at the Jets, and Brett Favre was their guy last year. He was the face of the franchise, even though it was only for one year. It looks like they needed a face for their franchise. Look, they're trying to sell PSLs. They're trying to sell seats. They're building a new stadium. Mark seems to perfectly fit that face of the franchise and then the NFL seems you know it's kind of a flavor of the of the year type of league so last year Matt Ryan of the Falcons and Joe Flacco of the Ravens two rookie quarterbacks do very well now maybe teams are saying well look we could stick a rookie quarterback behind center from day one and he can get us to the playoffs like those guys did sure no that that's that's uh I think that that Flacco's and Ryan's success you know provide you with a lesson which is that uh, if you do good things on the field, the, the, you know, then you can uh, derive some benefit from it. You know, derive some award. Um, and uh, it, it was funny. Mark and I and his family were walking through the Jets facility, and they have this big, oh shoot, 50-yard long mural of their fans in the stands. It's just a, a bunch of photos of fans in the stands from last year, and. There were probably, as we walked along these 50 yards, 200 number four jerseys, uh, you know, staring back at us mm. on, on these fans, and you could tell what uh, what an impact Favre had on the on the community last year. And you know, so Mark has a lot to live up to, and and the best thing that he can do to live up to it is to to get on the field and do well. I'm joined by David Dunn. He is the president and CEO of Athletes First the agent for new New York Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez, amongst many other NFL players. Uh, let's talk 
about something other than Mark for a moment. You know, we talk on this show about the economics of the NFL, and there's been a lot of talk lately, especially in the last two weeks with the draft, about the possibility of a rookie cap in the NFL. The guaranteed money that's being paid to rookies has gotten higher and higher every year as an agent. What are your thoughts on a rookie cap? I would imagine you're probably against it because it could take money out of your pocket. But where you mean every year this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's more pressure on these GMs and owners to get it right because if you blow a top five pick, it could really set you back for several years. You know, I'm I'm not as opposed to a, a rookie cap as as most in, in my industry are, uh, and and. Yeah, that's for two reasons. One, selfishly, I represent a lot of veteran players as well, and and it's not as if the owners are going to keep the money. They they'll just spend it in a different manner. They'll spend it more on veterans. So that to the extent that that uh, a top five player, Aaron Curry or somebody, gets gets less money, then then Ray Ray Lewis will get more money. So it's just a it's just a different configuration. Uh, of, of, of the puzzle, and the, and the second reason is that compared to, to every other industry, it's, it's somewhat illogical. Um, you know, seniority has always had its place, even in sports. And in basketball, you have a rookie wage scale. In baseball, you have a term of years before you can hit arbitration or free agency. And so, um, it would seem to fit with this sport, um, but you know. But of course, uh, you know, Mark Sanchez is going to argue with it. Certainly at this point. I'm joined by David Dunn. He's the president and CEO of Athletes First. David, the NFL collective bargaining agreement, it's going to be renegotiated in the not-too-distant future. From where you sit, what are the main issues that will be argued over when the sides sit down? You know, I, I think that there are a whole, uh, a whole host of them, and, and my hope is that the uh, reasonable heads do prevail and and certainly by the rhetoric from from both sides in the past month or so uh you know it, it appears as if there's not that drawing the line in the sand um uh you know type of type of environment as i've seen before you know and, and it really you know it's, it's uh it's a it's how you split the pie it's it's not it's not not horribly complex. It, that doesn't make it any easier to resolve, but it's just how you split the pie and how much how much goes in the players' pocket as opposed to the owners' pockets. And, and um, you know, and, and there are all sorts of sub issues that go to that major issue. But it really is, you know, how how uh, you know how how much you can stretch a dollar and how how you split it. David, while I have you, last question for you. There are so many people that have seen the movie Jerry Maguire, and they think that being a sports agent, it's a sexy business, lots of money, fast cars, luxury hotels. Set us all straight on what it's really like being an agent, because I know agents, and I have ties to this industry by doing this show, and uh, they paint a very different picture. Well, in the, in the last uh, in the last week or so, I've... I've uh, taken a couple of red eyes and coach. I've, I've <laughs> had my my uh, three year old throw my phone in the toilet. Not not very, not very good timing on that. No, uh, and uh, which was quickly resolved by my, uh, my my by my staff. Thank goodness. And and you know I've I've talked to, uh, to owners of teams to Woody Johnson while changing my two year old's diaper. So you know it's not it's not all it's cracked up to be. I have to say it's a lot of fun and. 
and the guys I work with are great, so I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, it sounds like one of the morals of the story is to keep your uh, phone and yeah. electronic devices. I have a four-year-old, so I, I have the same rule. You don't want to have your, your children playing with those devices, no, especially a, when you it, need them. They're, they're dangerous hands, and they always they don't end up going into dry or, or <laughs> unmessy places. They end up going into the worst spots, so I agree with you on that point. Well, David, congratulations on a really successful uh, NFL draft, and I uh, hope you can kind of decompress now a little bit, and uh, I'd love to have you on again in the future. Uh, I'd love to be on. Thank you very much. All right, take care, Brian. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Kevin Pritchard. He's the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers. Kevin, congratulations on a fantastic season. 54 wins and the number four seed in the playoffs. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be on. So after having a few weeks to kind of decompress and reflect on this past season, seeing this group of talented young players get to the playoffs for the first time. What was the biggest revelation for you from this past season? Well, probably the biggest thing was seeing the young, this young team grow up right in front of our eyes. Right. You know, we, 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 we seem to get better as the, the year goes on or went on. And, you know, with a young team, <clears throat> sometimes you worry about you taper off towards the end. And uh, so it was interesting to see that they got better and uh, they showed some real grit and toughness uh, down the stretch. You know, we won, I think, 10 out of our last 11 or 10 out of our last 12 going into the playoffs. And uh, felt like we uh, improved maturity-wise and toughness-wise. Yeah, it really seems like a resilient bunch. And, uh, you know, I credit Nate with some of that, too, because it seems like the team has really started to kind of take on some of his tough-minded personality. No question. And, um you know, the whole thing is you have to go through a process in this league. You know, you, you can't just immediately in one or two years be a top-level play, player. It just, it just very rarely happens. You know, even with the, the the best players that come in this league, it takes some adjustments. And, boy, it was a lot of fun to see him uh, grow up, and um, we expect big things from him in the future. So we talk about adjustments, the NBA draft coming up on June 25th. You have the 24th pick. You have four second-round picks. By my calculations, you've got about $7 million in cap space. And like we've been discussing, you've got one of the most talented young rosters in the league. Looking back on last year and looking towards the future, where do you need to tweak things? 
Well, we're not in a rush to do anything. That's that's the the luxury that we have with a young team. <clears throat> with a maturing team, you know, you always feel like, you know, I've got to get younger, i got to get younger at a certain position. We don't have that. Uh, like to add some experience. Like to add somebody that really understands how to play in the playoffs to help uh, our team understand that. But in terms of of specific positional needs, I'm not really worried about that. I've never worried about that. I've worried about how does the team react to someone coming in? Does does that person fit? Does they fit our culture? And are they a good enough player to take us to the next level? Because Nate's a great coach. He seems to well, – he doesn't seem – he finds ways to put players in a position to succeed. And so that's not as important. Plus, we have so much flexibility with our positions because we have um, Brandon who can play one, two, or three, Rudy who can play – a little two, a little three, and maybe a little one next year. Um, Blake can play one or two. Bayless can play one or two. Uh, you know, and and you look at our threes. There there are threes, and they can play some fours, and some can go play, down and play some twos. So we have such flexibility with our roster in terms of position. I'm not as worried about that. Joined by Kevin Pritchard, he's the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers. Kevin, it's a weird time in the NBA right now. There are several NBA owners who are hurting financially because their day-to-day business interests are suffering. In an effort to unload big salaries, there may be several star players on the market. Are you getting the sense that this is going to be a pretty active offseason and that players that might normally not be available might be available this offseason? I think what is going to happen is you're going to see teams really buy early, um, be aggressive early. And then uh, then you have this musical chairs, so to speak, you know, and some players get caught without out, um, the chair and then, then some good deals for teams and fair deals for players. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who's the aggressors early and who sits back and really tries to find some value. Uh, because this, this summer's unprecedented. We, we don't know how it's going to play out. It's a whole new, uh, new uh, ball game. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, gosh, it's been reported so much in the last few years. Everyone's trying to get under the cap to be able to sign the big free agents that are coming on the market next summer. LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, guys like that. So it will be interesting to me to see who kind of takes a chance this summer. and Or does everyone just kind of sit back and wait for next summer and spend their money next summer? Yeah, you know, that is a big thing. Everybody's looking out of that 210 year. Um I worry that, you know, you have all these players, you know, hypothetically moving and then none could. Right. Um, So I'd be careful with that model. I think you have to draft well. You have to sign good players to good contracts. And then, you know, hopefully that they can grow all together. And that's what we've tried to do. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that I think there's a high risk in that and that you're waiting for that one player uh, to come to your team. So I don't know about that. Which is happening more frequently for you these days? Are you taking calls from other teams about players on your roster, or are you reaching out to other teams to see which players might be available and how much they would cost you? Well, I don't think that's important. I mean, we make call, uh, outgoing calls every day, and we take calls every day. Sometimes it's just, you know, uh, simple banter. Sometimes it gets into specifics, and you move down the line and try to get a deal done. But, I mean, every single day we're in the office, we're working the phones, uh, and I feel like we're very aggressive. We've been very aggressive in the past. But, Brian, I, one thing that I, I think is pretty clear is that, and it makes sense at least to our group and our coaching staff, is 
we don't have to do as much as we've done in the past because right. we've moved in the, in this direction. That doesn't mean we're not going to be aggressive, but we're more selective, and we don't have to take such high-risk deals. I'm just wondering, I mean, the art of sitting in, in your chair or a GM's chair, how many times do you call about maybe a certain player and then you find out that another player is available? I guess I go back to a few years ago with uh, Randy Fun and Pat Riley and the way the Shaquille O'Neal deal went down where, you know, it didn't even seem like Shaquille would be on the market, but then all of a sudden they find out he is and they're able to make that deal. Uh, any insight there is for our listeners how many times that might happen to you? Well, it does happen. Um, but if, if you're working the phones, if you're talking to people consistently, normally, you know, what's going on, uh, or who's available. Um, and if you express interest in a, in a player and they're about to do a deal with another team, usually a courtesy call to say, listen, I'm about to do something. What's your best offer? And if you can't satisfy or, or, or beat that offer, they go in another direction and that happens. Uh, most most GMs allow that, and that way you you typically allow the auctioning proposition to to build itself up and get the best best deal. You don't see you don't see really GMs taking the first deal. That that rarely happens. I've never known that to happen. They usually wait it out and figure out what's the best for them and what's best for you. And then if it consummates and works, then you know all the best. All right, let's talk about Greg Oden. Uh, he got back out on the court last year. We saw some really good things from him. He did have some injuries, and um, it seems like he still needs to work himself into a little bit better shape. What do you want from him this offseason as he goes into his second season on the court in the NBA? Well, here's the good news. The good news is, you know, he came off that year. He played in 61 games, three quarters. He got in foul trouble. But when he played and played more than 20 minutes, we were a much better team. So we know when he's out there, he does affect the game in a positive way. Uh, I think he's got to work on getting in the best shape he possibly can for this upcoming year. And then more importantly, he's just got to play. He's just got to get out there. Uh, Talked to Bayless yesterday. Uh, He was in Columbus working with Greg. Now Greg's going to go back to Phoenix for a couple days. And the one thing I can tell you, there's not a harder worker in this league than Jared Bayless. So if he can be that positive influence on Greg right now, so be it. And they've they've made a pact that they're going to be in great shape and get ready and uh, and have a good year. And that's um, that's pretty cool. Um, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I know those guys uh, are, are working hard to make our season uh, a good season next year. Kevin, just a few more questions for you. Uh, in Major League Baseball, we've seen a trend towards hiring GMs who use quantitative analysis and numbers to help them evaluate players and build their rosters. Billy Bean with the Oakland A's, Theo Epstein with the Boston Red Sox come to mind first. We've seen in the NBA we're heading in that direction a little bit. I look at Daryl Morey in Houston with the Rockets. You're a numbers guy, but you also played uh, college basketball and played in the NBA. Who understands the game? Who has more of an advantage today? The ex-jock as the GM or maybe the, the numbers guy who understands the business side a little bit better? I think the best of both worlds is someone who at least attempts to understand both. Because I don't think numbers can truly uh, see everything. There's just basketball is too complex and there's too many variables. I think we can evaluate a player's efficient, uh, offensive efficiency and we're getting very close to understanding that but defensively there's so many things that can't be traced by pure numbers for example we call it a stunt 
There's a lot of stunts in basketball, whether you stunt to a shooter and get back to someone else, whether you do what's called a crackdown and really block out. Those can't be determined by numbers. So in my opinion, uh, hopefully it's, it's a piece of the pie, but you have to feel good about a player. You have to know that he has a, you know, a heart, that he, he is, he's determined to, to succeed. And, uh, you know, sometimes those things don't measure out truly with numbers. And I don't believe a player can be quantified by purely numbers, but I think he could use it. Yeah, I mean, I, I read that article in the New York Times earlier in the season about uh, Shane Battier and that this guy doesn't fill up a stat sheet. But if you look at wins and you look at a guy with heart, there's there's an ideal player right there. He just wins. No no question. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of guys out there. And what I would say is as much as they feel strongly about their player, we have one that is off the charts that way, and that's Joel Prisbilla. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't produce a lot of numbers, but when he plays, we win. And uh, so – there are ways of measuring players without looking just at their, you know, prototype, prototypical stats. Let's put it that way. Last question for you. You guys did something that I thought was really cool last summer, uh, right when Nate got back from the Olympics, I think it was. You and your basketball operations staff took a retreat with several of the Trailblazers senior business operations staffers. Mm-hmm. I think you went to Tucson. I've heard a little bit of the detail about it. What did you learn about the the their world, the business operations world that maybe you didn't know, and, and what did they learn about your world so you guys can work together going forward? Because not a lot of organizations are bringing their sports side and their business side together like you guys did last summer. Well, you know, first thing, Brian, is we don't feel like that they're sides. We're both on the same side. Right. And there's this mutual respect that I have and I hope they have for for us down here and that we, we all want to win, and we want to win in multiple ways. We don't want to win just on the court. We want to win, you know, uh, from our fan base. We want to understand that, you know, we want to have good guys in here. We want to, you know, have a full rose garden. Uh, so there's a lot of definitions of success, and I think when you get in the same room, you understand that there are many uh, levels of success, and we, we, we choose to um, identify and help each other as much as we can. Well, and it seems like it trickles down to the players, too. I mean, your players are so involved in the community, and, you know, they do things with sponsors. And, you know, let's face it, uh, a few years ago, that wasn't the case. So it's so refreshing to see that that is the case now. Yeah, no question. Um, You look at our leadership in our locker room between Joel Blake, LaMarcus, Brandon, uh, and then some of our younger guys. They, you know, some of them live here on the offseason. They want to be here. And um, they want to help this community. And we, we, tr- we try the best we can to target those kind of players that feel like that that's important. Well, Kevin, I know you're very busy. Best of luck with the upcoming NBA draft. Congratulations on a fantastic season last year. And uh, I'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds good, Brian. Thank you very much. Yep. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you... Go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This 
This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Thanks for joining us for the best of Sports Business Radio. We'll be back with you next weekend. Look forward to uh, discussing the start of the college and NFL football seasons. Lots to discuss there. Major League Baseball playoffs coming up. And the NBA season and NHL season's not too far away. Thank you to our guest, David Dunn, the agent from Athletes First, who joined us a few months ago. The agent for Mark Sanchez, Carson Palmer, and others. Thank you to Kevin Pritchard, the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers. Enjoyed having him on a few months ago. Very insightful, as always. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Thank you to our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, Moose Tracks Ice Cream, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to Sports Business Radio and click on the podcast page. You can have the podcast downloaded to your iTunes or MP3 player every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm on Twitter, SB Radio. Follow me there. I'm Brian Berger. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Happy Labor Day. And we'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.